back to Symposium's F1 Pod. I'm Lawrence Lee. I'm Ash Lawler. I'm Zach Jimranja. I'm Zach Fowler. And this is the 2020 Sakir Grand Prix review. Right. We nailed it that time. I'm so proud of us. We nailed the intro. Nice. Well done. <laughs> um, okay, let's jump straight into um, the, the Grand Prix weekend. Uh, the big news, of course, before you know, any any of the cars got out on track was the fact that we had three new drivers or three drivers in different seats that they were previous to this weekend. We had George Russell moving from the Williams to the Mercedes. We had Nikita Mazepin. No, not Nikita Mazepin. That comes later. Pietro Fittipaldi in the Haas and Jack Aitken in the Williams. Now, there are three different stories attached to all of these. I think think we should first start off with the uh, Russell news because I think that was one of the big ones from this weekend. It all came about because Zach Lewis Hamilton unfortunately contracted positive for uh, coronavirus um, and he couldn't race this weekend. Yeah, it's quite surprising. It's the first time since 2006 that there hasn't been a, a Lewis Hamilton in a, in a Formula One race. And it's quite surprising, really, because he's all he, he follows the rules very well. We've never heard of him being involved in a a COVID breach like we have with, say, Vettel and Leclerc. And a lot a lot of the people in the paddock have said that Lewis has been one of the people who has really tried to stick to the rules. So when he gets it, it really is proof that anybody can get it. It's just a good thing for him. He's already world champion. No one can touch him. So if you're going to have a, a, an illness that's going to put you out of action for a couple of weeks, you might as well have it once you've already completely wiped the floor with everyone. Yeah, it's pretty lucky that, um, yeah... As you say, he's, he's, he's done and dusted the championship. If there was a proper championship battle still going on and he was forced to miss this race and possibly the next race, I think there would be a much bigger sort of, I don't know, hubaloo about, disaster, about the whole it? situation. It would kind of be like 1976 with like the louder Hunt thing where Lizzie Hunt was able to catch up in the championship because Lauda missed so many races from his Nürburgring crash. And it would kind of be like that, just on a smaller scale. I mean, if we had like a 2018-ish race where Vettel and Hamilton were much closer, um, then this this could have been, you know, pretty acrimonious. I mean, I mean, well, the way the 2018 season ended, then I don't know. <laughs> you could say there was a proper championship battle. But yeah, I take your point. Um, yeah, so uh, George Russell had to move into from the Williams seat to the Mercedes seat. Sachin... Um, there was a lot of discussion, especially in the drivers' conferences, about how Russell would adapt to Because we all know it's difficult to jump into an F1 car, but Russell had to do something quite unique, which was to unlearn all of the stuff he had gathered from the previous Grand Prix in Bahrain um, and then had to learn it with the Mercedes. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff involved. Would you like to talk us through that? I mean, I'm not yeah. giving you a choice here. You have to do it. <laughs> well, in terms of the differences, of course... First of all, if the car drives differently, the aerodynamics are different. The way the car, I guess, where the car is fast, where the car is slow, Russell will have to learn those types of traits of the car and figure out, okay, this is how to drive the car to maximize its performance. And as well as that, he has to learn the entire steering wheel, all the the little toggles and switches, figure out what everything does, because it's all different to his Williams steering wheel. Mercedes, knowing Mercedes will have all different engine and power modes, compared to the Williams. So you'll have to learn all of that, learn all the Mercedes procedures as well for pit stops, for VSCs, for safety cars. You have to learn all of those procedures. As well as that, he'll have to fit into a cockpit, which is too small for him. 
where his head is sticking out of the cockpit quite a fair bit compared to the other drivers, and where he's having to wear a size smaller shoes, because these are size, a UK size 11, and UK size 11 shoes don't fit into the Mercedes cockpit. He can't reach the pedals with those shoes. So he has to wear a UK size 10, which means he's like curling his toes, essentially, which I guess must be painful for an entire race. So yeah, he has, he's had to adjust a fair bit. Yeah, and, and um, I'd just like to add that I feel really emasculated by the fact that in my, in my little size, size eight men's, so, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, in, in the post-qualifying conference, Russell was talking about how he had to get ice on all on on his like feet and his um his neck and stuff because it, literally he wouldn't fit in the car properly. Um, the the Mercedes mechanics had to do a lot of work, sort of trying to adjust the seat, adjust the clutch pedal, and, and so forth. Um, and all of this had to be done within like four days because of the tight the you know the tight time frames involved. Um, but yeah, uh, also let's also note that because Russell vacated that Williams seat, uh, Jack Aiken. Uh, walked walked straight into that William C. And um, I don't really know much about Jack Aiken or Pietro Fittipaldi, who of course had to uh, go into the Haas car with Ro- the sad news that Is Roman Grosjean can't race. Hmm? Is he any relation to Emerson? Yes, yes. Uh, uncle? No. Is that... No, not uncle. I think grandson. Grandson. Oh, that's direct then. That's yeah, it's direct. Had... No, no, it's direct. Wasn't Bruno Senna heir to Senna's nephew? Yeah. Yeah. Bruno was Senna's nephew. But, but I mean... Fittipaldi obviously, like, double world champion, I think, in 70s. Yeah. Uh, that's quite cool. But, I yeah, mean, so... Um, I mean, in terms yeah, of the uh, the experience levels, I mean, Aitken has done F2. I mean, I think he finished fifth last year. And he was runner-up to George Russell, I think, in GP3. So he has a good... He has decent, unless not good, decent junior career. Quite, he struggled a fair bit in F2, either, you must, you must admit. Well, Fittipaldi, Fittipaldi's an interesting one, right? So he won the the World Series, which is like what used to be before F2 and GP2. That was kind of the main top category, I think. Uh, so he, he won that um, before it folded. And then he got, started his career as an IndyCar driver. And then... Um, had a massive crash at uh, in an LMP1 car at Spa, which in which he broke his legs, which kind of pushed his career back. And the next thing you know, he pops up at Haas as a development driver. But that's uh, Fittipaldi's career. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. I mean, he came fifth in the F3 Asian Championship, which I wouldn't say is like the golden standard for drivers. No. No. Um, but yeah. Uh, he was drafted in as a development driver. Um, I guess uh, Mick Schumacher, Kyle Mylott weren't really available for selection given that they had that F2 championship on the line. Um, so uh, Fittipaldi came in. And I mean, I, I, I think all three of them acquitted themselves quite well, which kind of allows us to move on to qualifying. Um, George Russell took, took complete control um, in FP1 and FP2. And in quali, he really showed um, a great deal of pace. Mr. Saturday Man certainly um, showing that he's no mug. Came, he came second after Valtteri Bottas. Uh, lost out by, I think, 26 hundredths. No, 26 thousandths. Um, two hundredths of a second. 
which is completely unbelievable given you know the relative experience of that car. Ashwin, how impressed were you by by George Russell? I mean, dramatically impressed. I mean, we always knew the car was a very good car. Um, it has been over the last five, six years, especially this season. The Gulf between Mercedes and everyone else is strong. But comparing him to Bottas for a start is just immensely, immensely impressive. Bottas has what? Got, got to have 50 Grand Prix under his belt by now from his Williams and then Mercedes days. And then you oh, have more than that, more than that, more like, than that, yeah, almost 100. Whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then you have you have Russell coming in, um, brand new car, relatively inexperienced driver, and just just pulling that car around the track in an insanely impressive way in an unfamiliar cockpit, which Sachin's you know eloquent, been very eloquent about you know the, the the foot size issues and everything else coming into a completely unfamiliar environment and just just you know pulling that car around the track in an extremely impressive way. Bottas saved himself some serious blushes by beating him. Even if, although it was by an extremely small margin, just because he he'd failed in FP1 by trying to push the car so hard that he ended up damaging the car, I think, because because Russell put in such impressive lap times, and you know Bottas saved himself some blushes there. Although I still think that margin was so small that that Russell could consider it, you know, a, a kind of a, a victory in some sense just on a Saturday, just because if Russell had been in that car all season, it's pretty clear to me who the fastest faster guy is. I, I mean. Just, just, or, or just from the numbers, because that's what Russell's doing after not even having a practice, pra- opening practice season in, in that car. Then, then what would he be doing if he'd had Barcelona practice in February and like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Grand Prix throughout a season? You know, then he'd be he'd be flying in that car. And this is a guy that jumped in straight from a completely different system. And I'm just really, really impressed, honestly. Now we can make the argument as we have on this pod. We, we, we we've been, you know quite disparaging about Bottas and some of his abilities on this pod. But we can say, well, you know, this isn't that impressive because you're comparing him to Bottas and Bottas isn't much, anything special. But Bottas has won Grand Prix. He's an accomplished driver in his own right. He makes mistakes. A lot of drivers do. But but he's he's not he's not a mug. He he's at he's at worst he's just an average driver in in the grid. He's probably not much lower than that. So so Bot so Russell, you know, performing to that level or even perhaps outperforming based on the amount of time in the car, I I'm extremely impressed by and as as a British fan, I'm extremely Confident and happy about the next few years in Formula One post Lewis as well. Yeah, and and I think I think we've all been quite impressed with Bottas on Saturday at least this season. He has challenged Hamilton a number of times. Um, in qualifying, Verstappen came third. Um, sh- such was the nature of this circuit. I mean, it was we were getting sub minute. Uh, qualifying lap and race lap times that Verstappen was only about I think five hundredths behind the eventual pole from from Bottas um, and Leclerc came out of nowhere to qualify fourth, two tenths behind to behind, behind pole. I mean Zach, that he he just continues to astound his his pace. Um, we'll get on to the race, but yeah, I was so surprised when Leclerc in the on the first stint just. Fourth, fourth place, and then just left the track. He was like, I, I don't need to do any more. Qualifying on, on its own, if we just look at qualifying, the uh, the pace was incredible, and you can see why Ferrari have put their trust in him going forward until 2024. What I would also add to that as well is um, that w- with Charles, what we've seen is that even when he's in a position where he's only got one set of soft tyres left, the fact that he can actually remain cool enough to go out there and absolutely blitz it in the first run, I think is absolutely incredible. I just don't know what, what, what else to say about that. It is just absolutely stunning. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the race out of, out of this analysis, as you, as you, you, you said. But, I mean, to, to pull a car that is 
not only subpar, but probably one of the worst Ferrari have made in a long time, to P4. I mean, that's that's almost as, as heroic as I think it's possible to be in a, in, a, in a car that's as bad as that. I don't mean to be too harsh, but I think that really is the fairest way of, of describing it. Yeah, and this is by no means the first time that Leclerc has done this uh, this year. And I think we're all really excited to see what he does when Ferrari finally get a competitive package together. Um, let's move on to the race. And I'm leaving a lot of time for the race because this was a crazy one. Um, first lap, complete complete shenanigans. Uh, we, we were kind of thinking, you know, Bottas, Russell, Verstappen, Leclerc. This could be a very exciting race for the win with no, no bloody Hamilton. Um, but... It didn't really turn out like that. Um, into the fir- into the third corner, uh, Leclerc and Verstappen have a coming together. Sachin, would you like to take us through that? Uh, yeah, essentially, it was. Uh, I think Bot- uh, Bottas was fighting with Verstappen into turn three. Bottas, with the with the lower downforce settings they're running this weekend, it's very turn the turn two turn three is not. It's very difficult. Very becomes a very difficult corner of when to apply the throttle because they it, last weekend they were just flat to the floor with the much higher downforce settings. Rather with the lower downforce settings, it's a bit more tricky. And Bottas had a, a bit of a swapper, which slowed the whole pack down. And it meant coming out of turn three, it was Bottas, Verstappen, and Perez three wide going into turn four. And now with the new turn four. Uh, unlike last weekend, it kind of it tightens quite a fair bit going into five. So in the braking zone, Verstappen, wisely I guess, he backed out of it, knowing three three cars won't go into into two there. So he backed out of it. Bottas also somewhat backed out of it. That left, uh, I think. Uh, oh no, uh, Bottas went through on the inside. Perez kind of let Bottas do that, and that kind of opened the door for Charles Leclerc to go down the inside, which was a fair move to make, you must say, but he totally misjudged the braking on the on new cold tyres on the dusty side of the track, locked up, almost T-boned Perez, who spun round, and then Verstappen, weirdly enough, got... I think he got caught out by the gravel trap on the exit, because... The gravel was the same colour as the tarmac. So when he went off in the runoff area, he thought he had it under control on the tarmac. So I think he actually accelerated into the gravel, realised he had literally no grip in the gravel and just went straight into into the barrier. Yeah, Verstappen was trying to be really cautious because of, you know, as you said, the potential for a three-wide collision. And then when the collision between Perez and Leclerc happened, that Verstappen tried to just go around the outside, just, you know, leave as much space as possible, and just didn't realise that there was a gravel trap in the way, which kind of hinders your steering. Um, so Verstappen out, Leclerc, thanks to the racing points rear end, uh, yeah, the, the tyre was gone, and he's out of the race. Perez, uh, because of that, you know, crash and and the ensuing safety car. His car was, you know, I, I don't know how it was more damaged, but certainly had to come into the pit stop and drop to the back of the field. Um, 
So that's what happened with that. Leclerc got a three-place grid penalty for the next race for, for diving down the inside and misjudging the braking. I don't... I personally think this is slightly unfair, Zach. He went for a move. Yes, he locked up a bit, but Perez could have left more space, right? Yeah, I have to say, I think I agree with that. Um, Perez didn't need to, to come across in the way he did, and he, he also did pay a bit of a price for that in terms of having to piss and make his race a bit more of a headache for him. But I think at the same time, Charles is probably a little bit optimistic as well. So I, I think I think a, a, a putting the blame on Charles with a penalty, I don't quite agree with. I understand why other people would agree, though. So you know, it, it is a very much a, a, an issue to the, the people will talk about. But yeah, I think it was just a bit unlucky. But it's a first lap incident, and you know, there's a reason why the stewards tend to be quite relaxed on first lap incidents. And I was just really surprised they weren't because when the fields bunched up. It, if you saw the gap as well between the front and the back of the grid when they were warming their tyres up, it was quite large. So, yeah, it's not, not really something I would agree with, but it's happened. Charles will move on and he'll just think, all right, well, I've got something to fight for in the next race then. Session? Yeah, I mean, I think I should add on to that, that I think he was done quite harshly because the Stappen was out of the race. Even though I think I feel like the Stappen's incident was one he had on his own in avoiding the, in, in in the reason why he was out of the race, but I think he got penalised harshly because of that move. I don't think you can put any blame on Perez though, because I mean all Perez sees in his mirror, he sees, he sees Bottas, the Stappen, and that's it. He lets Bottas go to the inside. He sees the Stappen's backed out of the move, so I don't think he's really expecting anyone up his inside at that point in time. Uh, and from how far Charles Leclerc was coming back from, I don't think it's reason. I think it's reasonable for Perez to turn in on the apex like he did. Um, but yeah, I think. So do you just, see it as a racing incident, or do you put the blame on Leclerc? I mean, it is Leclerc's fault, but it's an opening lap type thing. I don't think he should have got a, a penalty for it, and um, because the only person that really suffered in the end was Max Verstappen, and that was more or less his own fault, in my opinion. Uh, his little incident in the gravel. Ash is vigorously shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I basically just think that um, Jeremy Clarkson, when, when he when he just chats, basically talks shit about how F1 should have no stewards and all this, make it more exciting. Like, oh, he's chatting Pollocks, everyone knows that, and it's just rhetoric. But he, it does make me kind of sympathise even slightly with his position when things like, when, when this kind of decision-making occurs, because this is a racing incident on the opening lap. If you want F1 to be exciting for fans, you shouldn't discourage drivers from making these kind of decisions. I don't think, you know, obviously driver safety is important. We had a long pod on that last week, and thank God Grosjean's okay long-term. But, you know, there was no, there's no danger here of any, of any kind of bad crash, I think. And in the moment, you should allow drivers, I think, to make these split-second decisions to just go for moves. Because if, if there's incidents and there's collisions, we spoke about it last week, we don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's part of the sport. That's why people watch. F1 has a quest to be exciting. Cars are being specifically designed in 2022 to be easier to follow, to be more conducive to overtaking. And these kind of penalties just discourage in the mind of drivers for them to like undergo risk-taking manoeuvres. Risk-taking manoeuvres are what makes the sport worth watching when often these days we complain about boring races dictated by pit strategy and other kind of abstract undertaking-overtaking things that, that just... You know, or sorry, of overcutting and undercutting that just kind of detract from on-track action. And if we want to encourage on-track action, it just seems to me like a very stupid plan to discourage these kind of moves. 
I don't see this as being a particularly dangerous move. It was slightly reckless, perhaps. And I mean, Leclerc suffered from it far more than anyone else did. So, I mean, in this situation, I don't really know what the what the where the, the, you know, the need for for punishing him in, in in such a strenuous way. Like a three race, like I mean, that that that's pretty serious. And I don't think the move, at least from my my visual analysis, deserved that at all. I've seen far more dangerous things, you know, committed by people like Grosjean and etc. In the past, just go completely unpunished. You know, Pastor Maldonado used to be absolutely like just just like wreck of a car waiting to happen. You know, just willing to take people out. Vettel crashed into Hamilton on purpose a few times and had received less punishment than that. So like I, you know, at least be consistent. So not only is this inconsistent, but it's just not conducive to to a good visual experience. And like I don't like you know I know I'm happy we've got like, these Venezuelan oil oil kind of sponsors anymore in this in, in like the sport. But come on, like you know that at least be consistent with what you're doing year on year <laughs> I just like are you guys familiar with godwin's law right it's the theory that yeah. the longer an argument goes on uh, the more likely that you know the nazis get brought up in an argument I, mean, yeah, yeah. I think on on this pod we should have like the maldonado law, law <laughs> where it's just like the longer we talk about crashes the more likely we are we are to bring up pastor maldonado uh, Maldonado was just a hazard for other people and he's like in i don't know if it was intentional it was just bad decision making but he used to be like a liability and he never received as far as i'm aware he never received a punishment this bad and here we are leclerc he's, he's an aggressive driver but a very 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 good driver and he's just been like shafted i don't know it just seems just seems a bit bizarre to me um i think that uh that move from Leclerc was the kind of move where um, if if it pulls if it, if it, if it goes through and Leclerc you know gains positions, we're like applauding him for his bravery. But if it doesn't work, we then you know as you say like shaft him for his his uh, recklessness. Um, but anyway, moving on back to the the race at hand, uh, George Russell, as we as Sachin mentioned, nutted Bottas off the start, get, went through on the first corner, went down the inside. And then after the safety car restart, continued in the lead. And Ash in the chat was really happy. Every time Russell did anything like a fastest lap, there would be a nice British flag in the chat showing his patriotism. Uh, What an impressive first stint from George Russell. He had to manage that gap to Bottas, got out of the DRS uh, zone. um, And yeah, he, he looked to be completely in control, right? Yeah, uh... I mean, Russell was in complete control. He seemed to be managing the pace, managing the ties very well, and was still gapping Bottas at a good, good rate. So it was all very impressive from the youngster. Yeah, exactly. Um, the order was Russell, Bottas, Sainz, um, and Ricardo, and, and that was the kind of uh, order. And and the the thing that changes the race so often. Uh, this year has been a VSC or a safety car. And we got both of them this race. We got a VSC first. Um, yeah, uh, it was Nicholas Latifi, right, that went off on the, on the side. Zach, um, I don't know what the issue was. Did you, is there, was there an, an issue with, well, clearly an issue with this car? Some sort of, of, of mechanical issue. I'll be honest, it's, it's, I've been focused so much on trying to figure out what's going on with Russell. I completely overlooked uh, Latifi. Um, but yeah, it was just very unfortunate that the team who probably were rooting for Russell as much as 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 Mercedes were also the ones who caused all of the crap that undid Russell's <laughs> Russell's race and Mercedes race. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I, I have to say, I thought it was a slightly odd place where Latifi pulled off. You'd have thought, you know, how, how did he get over there? On that, he, you'd have thought he either would have stopped before he went entered the slow section, or he would have tried to pull off to the left because there's a bigger runoff area. Uh, no, but um, yeah, I thought that was a slightly strange mechanical issue. I, I presume someone's figured it out by now, and it's just I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, and oh, yeah, Sachin. Yeah, I think it was some sort of oil-related issue. Something like that. That's what I heard. Okay. Well, uh, sad end for the TV's race. Um, but what it did mean, uh, Sachin, is that after after all the pits, because obviously under a VSC you get the chance to make a quicker pit stop, but you still lose track position if if you don't have the, the time gap. Um, the, the cars that were doing two stops, that i.e. Ricardo and I think Sainz, had to fall back behind the one-stoppers uh, of Sergio Perez um, and uh, I think Pierre, Pierre Gasly, maybe? No, it's off no, Okay. Off kind of stroll, I think, in the end. Yeah, so the, the softs, so those who started did try, went for the two stop, which was, I think, Sides, Kvyat, and Ricardo. They all pitted un, around the VSC. Some of them got the benefit of the VSC, some of them just missed it. But in the end, they they got in and out and they made their, their mandatory pit stop and they went onto, I think most of them went onto the medium tyres. From the softs, um, and that enabled uh, an Ocon who had decided to one stop. Stroll was on the soft, and who went in the end to the hard, as did Ocon. And Perez, by this point in time, had made his way through the field, overtaking car after car, and rocked had rocked up onto the back of, uh, I think it was yeah, on, on the back of Stroll, no, Ocon, I mean. And was had put a set of the medium tires on after his spin, and later on after the, later on did put the hard tires on to make it make us a one stop strategy. Yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned it, Sachin. Uh, Ashwin, you must have been so impressed with Sergio Perez's overtaking because obviously it's a short lap. It's basically all straight. You need to find somewhere to pass. Um, and Perez, with that Mercedes engine in the back, just powered through the field. Um, and he ended up, he ridiculously, despite being last um, at the end of lap one, he was he was third. And it was just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very impressive. I mean, we always knew that Sergio was talented. Um, and he's, he's talented. I mean, you know, he's one of the better, more talented drivers on the grid in natural talent. And it shows the power of the Mercedes engine, as you say, that he was willing, uh, he was able to get that kind of mechanical advantage on such a short lap. I thought he made good decisions in like where he overtake, where he overtook, and who he targeted. Where he didn't make any rash choices, he did what was necessary. And honestly, the people around him that he overtook didn't act unduly rashly as well. Didn't try and take him out, and it was pretty safe driving all the way through, especially on such a short and perhaps hazardous lap. And I think, you know, it was quite surprising because it was quite conducive to overtaking. When I personally thought that such a short lap would be quite boring. But instead, it crammed the cars together, it squeezed them all together, and it led to some problems. And I think that might be an interesting proposition for future track choices, I don't know. But either way, I was quite impressed and quite actually quite surprised by, by Sergio. And it put him in an obviously quality position to capitalise in the rest of the race. He was able to then, you know, make a, build a platform from there and, and then attack further on. And when, when things benefited him, you know, things that are unforced errors from others will get onto then he was in the prime position because of his earlier work to to get on get on well. I mean, the only other example I can think of 
um, where someone came from last to all the way up there might be like, you know, Button in Canada in 2011, which was obviously rain affected. Whereas this here in the dry in, in quite a short circuit, I think was extremely, extremely impressive. I think Raikkonen won from 17th on the grid in uh, Japan 2005, if I'm remembering correctly. That was quite a good race. Uh, overtook Fisichella, I think, in the final few laps. Or the final lap, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it does take a stunning drive. And um, as you said, Perez put himself in the prime position to benefit if Mercedes, in Toto Wolff's words, had a colossal fuck-up. And they are very rare, guys. They are very rare. But when Mercedes fuck things up, it's absolutely beautiful. It's like London buses. You wait for one, <laughs> and then when one comes, three come. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this whole chain reaction started when uh, Jack Aitken got a tank slapper out the final corner and, and lost his front wing. Um, and the debris was just was quite extensive and had and required a safety car to to fix it and mercedes obviously because of their pace advantage were about 40 seconds not 40 seconds but like 30 seconds ahead of the field and they thought we'll just we'll just grab two free pit stops for our for our boys uh zach they weren't they weren't free pit stops they no they they fucked it up they were probably the most expensive pit stops in formula one history well maybe not quite that far but they were they were pretty diabolical i mean if, I, if I've understood correctly, and please please jump in if I'm if I'm wrong. From what I've understood from the utter debacle, what happened was they put the wrong they put Bottas's tyres or some of Bottas's tyres on Russell's car. Then Bottas came in, and then they realised, oh wait, hang on, these are George's tyres or some of these are George's tyres, to the point where they then basically gave Russell uh, the need to do a double stop just to come back in again, and they basically gave Bottas a twenty second stop go penalty just for being their driver and being the result of their of their mistake. It was absolutely incredible. And I think what it shows is that Mercedes really should not be making late calls on pit stops because this is very much Germany 2019 repeating itself. Or well, well, Italy 2020. I mean, like yeah, double stacking. Uh, double stacking they're, not, they're not very good at late pit stops. Yeah, I mean, double stacking on such a short lap is always going to be a challenge logistically in, in terms of decision-making, right? But, I mean, it just... I've never seen, I've never seen that before. You put old... You end up having to put old tires on a car because you misuse the, you give you give the wrong driver's tires to the first driver, so you end up having to leave put put this other guy's old tires back on him, and then that just ruins his entire race. I've never seen that before in in I think what is this my twelfth year watching the sport, thirteenth year, it's just extremely bizarre. Yeah, Toto Wolff was angry after this. You could tell. I mean, Mercedes completely threw that race away, Um, and. Who took advantage? Sergio Perez, Esteban Ocon, and Lance Stroll. As you said, Sachin, running that once up, they had track position um, on lap 69 when the safety car came out. And that was the order. Perez, Ocon, Stroll, Bottas, and then Russell, because Russell had to pit again um, to get rid of Bottas. Russell had to get rid of Bottas's tyres, which is just a weird sentence to say. Um, yeah, and, and Russell's radio... Was he was just like, yeah, I'm, he was just clearly really upset. Uh, Bono, to his credit, uh, Sachin, and um, this is really the role of engineer. He was just saying to Russell, you know, head down. You've got a massive pace advantage with your with your basically new medium tires compared to everyone else's old tires. You can still win this race. Yeah, essentially that's what Bono said, and Russell did start to deliver on on that advice. He dispatched Bottas ruthlessly 
into the chicane. Overtake of the season. Overtake of the season. Insert Union Jack into the chat. (laughs) Absolutely sent it around the outside of turn six and got him on the brakes into the chicane of seven. And then one by one picked off uh, Stroll and Ocon and then was romping up onto the back of Sergio Perez at, you know, four tenths per lap. I think Perez had a lead of about, what, four seconds by the time Russell got And he chomped into that bit by bit. And yeah, 10 laps ago, uh, two, two and a half seconds to get to cut down. And you think, okay, Russell's is just going to romp up to Perez with his Mercedes power advantage. And it must be said, Perez has an old engine this weekend because of the fire from last weekend. So... It ain't the best Mercedes engine he has in that car at the moment. And he has the old floor as well, because that, the new floor was damaged also in the fire from last weekend. So, you know, Perez with not the same equipment as Lance has managed to not only overtake him on track, but from the back of the grid, now finds himself leading the Grand Prix. And he has a very quick George Russell on his backside. But then, unfortunately... Uh, fate had it the other way for Russell. Yeah, disaster struck. Thank you for that. Those foreboding words, Sachin. Um, we watching the TV coverage heard the message on the radio going, "Oh, punk, uh, was it uh, uh, rear left puncture?" And and I think the commentator, I think Martin Brundle thought it was uh, Valtteri Bottas, and they're like, "Oh, he's so unlucky." And then and then. Bobby. The Crofty thought that obviously, no, obviously, no, no, they both. Then Crofty was like, "Oh, wasn't that Bono?" After yeah. everyone else had seen on the graphic, it literally had said uh, Russell's team radio, and then they realised like two minutes after everyone else, because obviously it's Crofty. Isn't it? And, and, then, it was, and then, and there was that cool realization when yeah. when we realised Russell had the puncture. He had to come into the pit. It was a really slow puncture. Russell said after the race he had a bit of yeah. oversteer, but he just didn't want to believe. That the, the race had been taken away from him again. I think, uh, and it's just heartbreaking because Russell, I think, was on course to win that race. Um, I, as you said, Sachin Perez's car not in the best condition. Got a hefty shunt in the first lap as well, um, and I think Russell would have overtaken him, but um, that wasn't to be. Russell had to come into the pit stop, um, and but I, and and Perez, you know, to his credit kept the gap to Ocon and Stroll and um, soared to the win. Zach? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's funny that actually when you think about it, the second-hand Mercedes is the one that beat the beat the new Mercedes when you consider that it was a, a copy of last year's car that had been completely destroyed, dents and, and damage all over it. The irony is, uh, is I think, has to be noted. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I think Force India will be quite happy with their 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 design philosophy now um, racing point no? race rate sorry <laughs> racing point um i'm so happy for sergio perez for winning this race so happy because uh he had to wait 190 f1 races for him to finally get that win two races before well actually well one race before the end of his well career for the moment it looks like um perez saying that he doesn't 2021 is unlikely for him to to stay in F1, but 2022 he does have some offers. You guys weren't so happy in the chat for Perez. Uh, Sachin, why? I love Perez. Uh, I mean, you can't really 
say Perez isn't a good driver. He's one of the best drivers on the grid, you must say, at this moment in time. And you can very much likely say Red Bull should almost certainly consider him for their their seat at the moment. But the way that F1 politics works and is kind of working at the moment means that Albon is still in the hot sheet, in my opinion, to get the Red Bull seat, mainly because... Um, Red Bull, they they don't want to put a a driver a driver who's not from their academy in the car because they don't want to I guess stunt the growth of their academy drivers. Essentially, once Perez is in that Red Bull seat, it's going to be very hard to drop him. You must feel well. You know, if you keep Albon for another year, you can drop him and then put maybe Yuki Tsunoda in or another Red Bull junior coming through the ranks because. While a few years ago they were struggling to find F1 drivers in their academy, now they are, they're starting to come through again. We have Sonoda, Darubla, you've got Vips coming through, and then you've got a few guys in uh, Formula 3 as well. So the Red Bull Driver Academy is now back up and running again, and I don't think they want to put someone who could stop a potential driver of theirs getting a seat, because, I don't know, I don't think there's been any point in, except for... Um, in 2013, where you would say Perez should be dropped. And even in that case, that was a bit controversial when he got dropped from McLaren. So I think this is Red Bull trying to save their blushes further down the line. Nash, you were losing yeah. your mind earlier. You seem yeah, a bit I calm enough. No, I think Sachin's entirely correct. I was losing my mind about the fact that I'm going to be denied um, Perez in a Red Bull and I have to watch Albon instead uh, for another season. But like I... I, I was like, you know, the re- I was very happy Perez won. Like, I've liked him since he went to McLaren. Like, I thought he was unlucky there. Uh, things didn't work out. I thought that he wouldn't be the worst replacement in the world of Lewis at McLaren. And it just things things of both parties didn't work out, which is just unfortunate, really. But I've always considered him a talented driver, and he really deserves this win. And I'm really happy for him. Um, I think most, most fans share that sentiment. I was just quite wounded about Russell still. So it's a bit of negativity from that rather than negativity towards Perez. And I think we all were... Just disappointed for, from Russell, even not even from a British perspective, just just from a kind of uh, you know just bit of like pathos, just that the fact that he was denied what he probably was deserved, you know. Um, but but in terms of Perez next season, I think it's just really unfortunate how things have worked out logistically. I hope to see him again in 2022. Certainly, I think Red Bull are probably doing the right thing to be honest by focusing on their academy. It's good for their infrastructure, and Sonoda is is would be a good driver to see in F1. I think he'd be quite exciting. Um, so if they replace Albon with Sonoda in 2022, then that's probably fair enough. Um, I hope and I hope that Perez can find another team, though. I think he definitely deserves a drive somewhere in 2022, and I'd love to see him in the new cars. I think he could do some damage in that car. I think that would be good to watch. Not um, past the Maldonado level damage. No, like not damage. Not, 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 not property <laughs> damage, but, but you know, damage to other drivers' reputations by completely overtaking them, which I think yeah. is the damage we like to see. Yeah. Um, the only thing overshadowing yeah. Perez's victory, in my opinion, was the fact that he stole Pierre Gasly's move on the podium by sitting on the top step. I just, I, you got to come up with your own thing, man. You can't just yeah. copy somebody else. But, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy for Perez. Like, sometimes I'm just not happy with Perez. I'm happy for him. Disappointed for Russell. I'm... And what about Albon and just in the sense that I, I genuinely think like he's had a lot of chances and it's just unfortunate because Perez Verstappen would, I think, objectively be a better to be better to watch than, than Verstappen Albon next season. But if we have to watch Albon to get Verstappen Sonoda in 2022, then that 
might be a fair transaction. I don't know. I mean, that's subjective, but I think it's just unfortunate overall. Um, yeah, well said. Uh, George Russell took the defeat pretty well, I guess. I mean, that, that, that picture of him lying in the grass with immense sadness being comforted by, you know, his, uh, his engineer is an, is an image that will endure on the internet for a while, I think. Um, but you could see in his post-race interview, he was a bit more calm about it and, and more reflective. Like, he will get more chances to win a race, no doubt. Um, finishing off the podium, Esteban Ocon came second. I don't know about you guys, and I'll ask Zach for this. Um, I feel like this is, like, the most undeserved podium ever. Ocon has been crap this year. He, wasn't, he didn't do anything in this race. He just got lucky with strategy. Um, I, I don't. I haven't rated him this year. I'll be honest, and I don't think he deserves this podium. That's, <laughs> Does that sound harsh? Very harsh. I think. I think Ocon, as a driver, does deserve the podium. Maybe not on his 2020 performance because his 2020 year has just not been that impressive. But when you consider 2000 and what was it 2016 through to 2018, he drove very well. Then we we know as as a talent, he's actually very good and. It's probably been an element of, of adapt, adapting to the new car and as well as getting back into racing, having had a year of being stuck in the Mercedes garage, basically doing admin. Um, so I wouldn't quite go as far as, as saying it's undeserved. I think on his talent it is deserved. But I would have liked to have seen his first podium come through his racecraft because he's shown that he can race very well and he can get up into a good position when he was at Racing Point. Um, all I can say is I, I hope we see other opportunities where he can be there entirely on merit and not with strategy. Although saying that, he had to make the strategy work. So I think you've got to be fair on, on how we how we critique him. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I mean uh, wait, if I just, only Esther... Can I just yeah, say, like, I mean, Albon should have won that race. I'm sorry, but Albon should have actually... I'm yes. like, not even joking. I'm not even trying to be mean to yeah, him. Like, yeah, Albon yeah. should have won that race. No, no, as in, honestly, I, I think... Yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. Like, in terms of the car he had and the position he was in... Like objectively, like he should, if he's good, in, if he if he were a good enough driver, to I think be long term successful in F one, he would have won that race. That's the kind of race you should win. But well, I, mean, I think Albon's complaint that. during the the race was just continued that he lacked engine power and so couldn't overtake all of the traffic in the you know so called DRS trains. Um, uh, Ravi Harry, a friend of the pod, I'll give him a shout out. Um, he messaged me going, "What's your favorite type of train?" And I went DRS train. <laughs> it kind of it kind of got annoying because um yeah Albon just got stuck behind I think the McLarens <clears throat> and the Renaults uh, he just couldn't make any headway and I agree with you Ashwin um I think Verstappen would have won that race <laughs> uh, in the same car so yeah I think it was a missed opportunity for Albon um Lance Stroll completing the podium uh his daddy very happy with Racing Points uh double podium and um, yeah, really good weekend for Racing Point. It's just it's just nice to see, you know. They they haven't won a race. I mean, their outfit, you know, used to be Jordan, right? And they won, I think, four races. But it's been a long time since then. I I don't actually know whether any of the staff from that Jordan team would still be in that Racing Point team today. Um, but yeah, really great result for them. Um, I think there's only uh, a couple more things on the agenda. Let's uh, let's start with clown of the day. Now I have a big recommendation that you just say the Mercedes pit crew, but feel free to mention anyone else you want to. I I mean I I'll, I 
think that's the correct answer. I mean, I've never seen a debacle like that where you have to put the old tyres back on a bloke's car. And uh, I mean, that's just literally the one, your, your job description, their reason for existing was literally vitiated in that race. So like they literally failed. You put new tyres on a car and then you put the old tyres on because you screwed up that badly. That's literally your reason for existing. So instead, so you made him drive into the pit lane for all that time. <laughs> and literally, your reason for existing like as a pit crew is to change old tyres and put new tyres on. And you literally failed at the reason for your existence. So I honestly don't see how it could be anyone else. Because I mean, it's not that easy. Like, I should do it in like three seconds. But yeah. But if your reason for existing is like... If your reason for existing is like to paint a house and you just don't turn up to your job or like you just don't paint the house and it just it looks like it did before, like with cracked paint, <laughs> that's what they did, isn't it? I think it should be said that the, the pit stop crew are also mechanics. So they also do set up the car and fix the car when it's broken in the garage for practice and stuff. I mean, like the, the entire existence isn't pointless, but a, a bit of it is. <laughs> if your job description, let's say there's a broken window and your job description is to like replace the window and you replace it and then you break it and you go home. That's literally what they did because the window's in the same state it was at the beginning of the day. What they did is they, <laughs> the window was broken. They replaced it with some cardboard, then realized the cardboard wasn't right. So they put the old broken window back in. That's what they did. Let's just say that 50% of their existence is, is, is basically nullified. <laughs> can, I, can I contribute to another clown of the day, another yeah, nominee? Go on. Go on. I think uh, a Valtteri Bottas for throwing away his Mercedes 2022 contract has to be in there. Yes, big thumbs up, big thumbs up. Um, George Russell has definitely staked his claim for that 22 seat. <laughs> Bottas really threw this one away, I'll be honest. He bottled the start. He got embarrassed uh, after the safety car restart when Russell overtook him. Um, pretty terrible race from him. I mean, we could say he's had bad luck this year, but he has also been shocking at points. Um, and I, I'm I'm on board with, with the Valtteri Bottas nomination. Zach? Well, I'm just looking through the results, and I, I really can't add anything to any of what's been said. I think it's spot on. I mean, I think Bottas has just really showed why he shouldn't get a contract extension beyond his current deal. I'd probably also say, for clown of the day, possibly the Renault strategists with Ricardo, because they could have scored more if they hadn't have done what they did with the, the pit stop and, the, and the, the VSA. I think you could say the same for McLaren in that regard as well. But those are not as strong as, as the ones that we've mentioned, so... Yeah, I, th I think really it's the Mercedes pit crew and then Bottas probably. Right, good job, boys. Let's. Uh, I hope we can shit on Mercedes every week, but uh, somehow I think that it's going to be a one-two in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> um, right, we're going to do something we haven't done on the pod before um, to to round it off, and we're going to review the F two uh, race this weekend, the end of the championship, um, the incoming Haas drivers obviously involved, Mick Schumacher. Uh, winning the F2 champion, not in convincing style, I must add. Um, Sachin, um, what a great end to the championship! Uh, Mick Schumacher securing that 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 victory, and Yuki Tsunoda obviously securing his super license points. That's the the other big talking point. Yeah, those are the main aims. Uh, story number one: Could Mick Schumacher win the championship? He had a 14 point lead going into the weekend. Could Tsunoda? After his brilliant pace the weekend before, which was ruined by bad luck, I could say, could he get the super license points he needed to 
qualify for an F1 seat, while that's still not being confirmed, it's more or less not even a rumour anymore. And could Nikita Mazepin show why he belongs to be in F1? Were the main talking points. And they didn't really start off too well for Mick and his title defence, because haven't shown great pace in qualifying, and then there was a red flag, which meant there was a last lap dash to set a time, down in 18th, and decides to, in my opinion, made a very rash overtake on Roy Nassanri, and then and in the end got punted by him going into the final corner. So Mick was under a lot of pressure going into the, the race on Saturday. And then... Yeah, um, and let's go on to... Uh, Nikita Mazepin, who, you know, there are question marks about his personality as a driver, shall we say. I don't think his penalties for very aggressive defending on that Saturday race, I don't think they've allayed those concerns, Zach. I think, yeah. Now, I don't want to bring up Maldonado, all right? But, you know, he, he is clearly a bit of a live wire. Um, he's not afraid to show other drivers the wall, shall we say. Well, but I mean, put it like this, I know that Mazepin might bring a lot of money to Haas. I wonder how much he's going to cost them in bodywork. Uh, I think it could be could be quite high if that's how it was. I mean, to be pushing drivers that close to the pit wall, that far off the track as he did with Sonoda and, and other drivers, I, I, I think it's, on one level, it's actually quite a good thing because it shows that he's hungry, but it also shows that he goes too far and he doesn't really necessarily acknowledge the limit he's happy to to take risks that maybe are a little bit or in some ways a lot over where they should be and uh well i'm curious to see what happens i hope that gunther has a bit of a a chat with him and says look if you want to race hard brilliant it's great for the team great for the sponsors great for you but don't do maneuvers that are as controversial as that i think that's really what's going to have to happen because I, i wouldn't want to see that in formula one i think it's it's too Sort of what you'd expect on a, on a go-kart track, if you, if you know what I mean. It's, it's not quite sophisticated enough for something at that level of, of Formula 1. Yeah, sorry, that, that was the feature race. Sorry, my apologies. So the, the race on... Um, and, and obviously going into the final, the final race of the season, the sprint race, um, Mick Schumacher had more struggles, right, uh, Sachin? Um, but Callum Island couldn't take advantage. Yeah, so essentially Mick... They had a brilliant drive on the Saturday to get, he more or less scored the same number of points as Eilat did on the Saturday in the feature race. And he had the fastest lap, which meant that they both scored eight points, I think, or something like that. And the gap remained at 14 points. And yeah, I think on the sprint race, they didn't really go to plan for Mick Schumacher. He got up to, I think, P3, went for a move for P2 into turn four, and had a massive lock up going into turn four and flat pulled his tires quite badly and it didn't look like he was going to be able to make the end make it to the end of the race with the tire deck which f2 suffers from on that set of tires but he did i must say he did incredibly well to hold up callum Eilot. that won him the the championship on that day he was able to keep callum Eilot behind he was using his tyre performance to try and get past um, Schumacher. And in the end, when, by the time Schumacher's tyres had given up and he needed a pit for a new set, Eilat's tyres really couldn't last the end, to the end of the race. Eilat couldn't catch up to the leader 
which was to the lead pack, which was considered of Dan Tictum and Darubolo. They were, they were scrapping it out and honestly weren't really going full pace because they were fighting so much. He wasn't able to catch up to them and he ended up falling back. So, and didn't, neither scored points. So in the weird scenario, they going into the weekend, they were 14 points apart and they, Schumacher still won the championship by 14 points. So Schumacher did what he needed to do from the poor position he put himself in. And yeah, convincingly won the title and deserves his seat in uh, Formula One next year. Unlike yeah. maybe a Nikita Mazepin, you could say Callum Eilert should probably get the seat. I thought you were going to go uh, like, unlike a certain Russian driver, but then, but then you might be convinced, uh, confused with Daniel Kvyat. Um, but yeah, thank, thank you for that, Sachin. Um, definitely, the battle with Mazepin and Schumacher next year in the Haas will be interesting, if nothing else. I personally am very worried for Haas because to put two rookie drivers in a in a car that hasn't proved itself at all. I don't know what Haas are really expecting. It's definitely a gamble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it'll be exciting to see um, uh, because I, I'm I'm pretty sure Yuki Tsunoda is is going to get that uh, to, uh, Alpha Tauri seat, as you say, Sachin. Um, I'm excited to see how he does against uh, Pierre Gasly because uh, Tsunoda has impressed quite a lot, and he won the Pirelli Driver of the Year for the F2 Championship this year. Um, so yeah, well done to him. Um, I think that will do it for uh, today's uh, review of the Sake Grand Prix. We will be back next week for the Abu Dhabi, um, the season finale. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all for me. Bye, Sachin. Yep. Thanks for listening. Ash? And... Yeah, cheers. Sorry. Cheers, guys. Thank sorry, you for I just cut off Sachin's goodbye. Sachin, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying, to, just trying to hurry this along. Yeah, Zach, Zach, say bye. Yeah, bye. Cheers, See boys. you next week, boys. Bye. Bye. Bye.